This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Virtuous Coach Podcast. All right, you guys, welcome back to another impactful episode of the Virtuous Coach Podcast. In today's show, I had the opportunity to interview black belt Greg Souders. He is the owner of Standard Jiu-Jitsu in Rockford, Maryland, and he's kind of burst into the scene here recently because he's teaching a outside-the-box, non-traditional approach to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or grappling. Um, so he calls it the ecological method, and it is basically the art of teaching without teaching. So to kind of explain that a little bit, and obviously we will go way more in depth in today's episode, but to kind of explain that a little bit, what he basically attempts to do in all of his grappling sessions is he aims to, instead of teach techniques that will force people to basically call on through different you know, memory paths that they're able to create, instead of teaching these memorizing uh, or these techniques in which a person needs to memorize, he instead shows different constraints and situations that allows a person to naturally work through things and actually figure it out for themselves. I have personally put this into our grappling practices at our gyms here at Virtuous, and it's been insane, especially on the kids' side, to watch our children who often struggle to memorize techniques or to be able to implement certain positions that we were showing as coaches through just giving them games and different constraints and situations. It's been amazing to watch them pick up complex techniques pretty quickly and pretty easily. So um, I'm super excited to have him on. I've been trying to get him on the show for a number of weeks and we were able to connect and get him set up to come on. And this is uh, full of information. So if you're a grappler out there and you're, you're interested in, in pushing yourself and, and learning more about these types of things, then this show is definitely something you want to listen to. Um, as always, guys, before we jump in today's episode, I'm going to need you to do me one favor. Uh, I need you to take a screenshot on your phone and then post it on your Instagram story and then make sure to tag Greg and I in it. He is at GD Souders on Instagram and I am at Coach Cody Smith. Again, take that screenshot, tag both of us, drop it on your story just so we can connect with you and um, just be able to thank you for sharing the show. So again, share this show and then without any further ado, you guys, let's go ahead and get Greg on. All right, what's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Virtuous Coach Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to bring you guys Mr. Greg Souders. Greg, um, I got to tell you a little a little fun fact about you, man. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I, I follow BJJ Mental Models on um, like my podcast subscriptions or whatever it may be. And um, I'm, I kind of originally started as like an evidence-based like strength and conditioning coach. And then I saw this, this post with your name on it that said evidence-based coaching. Uh, so naturally caught my attention. And as I started listening to it, I was pretty much, for lack of better terms, fist pumping every time you said something that spoke to my jujitsu journey and some of the issues that I had around it. And uh, I was just, next thing I know, I'm listening to every single podcast you have that you you had out on the ether. And then um, when it checked you out on social media and was just blown away by number one, your your ability to articulate what you're saying, which from an outside perspective as we go through it today is probably going to sound complicated, but your ability to articulate it was fascinating to me and I was just captivated by it, man. So um, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show today. So you guys, um, let me formally welcome Greg to the show and Greg, man, how's it going? It's going, it's going good, sir. And thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been recently speaking to a bunch of people like yourself and uh, practicing my, my articulation. Uh, I, I did my first podcast like six months ago and I hadn't spoken to anybody outside of my room uh, about the subject matter. So it's been kind of a learning journey for me as well, trying to communicate things better to the people who are asking about it. So yeah, it's my pleasure to be here, man. Nice, man. So um, I, obviously stories move the world, right? So let's talk a little bit about your story. Like walk us through who, you know, who is Greg in a nutshell and then maybe just kind of bring us up to current day. Well, really, man, I'm just a jiu-jitsu guy uh, who uh, fell in love so deeply that uh, I decided to dedicate my life to every aspect of it. Uh, I started training in 2004. Um, I was part of a team called Team Let Urban. Uh, I was on the team from 2004 when I started until when I left in 2013. Um, uh, training there, my goal was to become a world champion. That was that was my goal. I mean, that was that's what Lloyd's gym was all about, was uh, trying to create the best American jiu-jitsu players that he could. Um, in that journey, I ended up having a severe neck injury that ended my competitive career. I broke my neck, damaged my spinal cord, uh, tore a ligament in my, on my C5, C6, uh, which I lost function in my left arm for about a year. Um, 
which sort of transitioned me into focusing on different aspects of jujitsu and uh, most notably the coaching space. So, you know, I took all that energy I had that I was trying to dedicate towards the my, the competitive route and I started to put it back into other people. Um, I opened my own gym uh, in 2014, February 10th, 2014. Um, and I've been trying to learn more about practice and coaching since then. And uh, yeah, and, you know, that's pretty much all it's ever been. I've been doing jujitsu for 18 years and <laughs> pretty much nothing else. Nice. Uh, so, Man, I, you know, for me, I, so I started my like fitness gym and I ran that for probably eight or nine years. And then my background for like, for like finding my way to fitness, for finding my way to CrossFit was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and uh, MMA fighting. I fought amateur um, on the East Coast. I'm, I'm from Virginia originally, live in Washington now. Okay. Um, but I did MMA kind of on the, the, you know, the East Coast circuit for a lot of years. <clears throat> and, you know, had some life stuff come up and ended up having to like, you know, hypothetically hang up the hat for a little bit. And then a few years ago, I was approached by my landlord and I had the opportunity to basically take over this, uh, the, the next unit next to my gym space. And I was like, man, I'm just going to open a jujitsu again. Let's just go ahead and send it. I was a purple belt at the time <laughs> and had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, you know, opening that gym originally for, 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 from like my business background, running a jujitsu facility was an entirely different beast. The people were different. The marketing needed to be different. Getting oh, people sure. in the door needed to be different. My coaching ability on the fitness side had no application on the jujitsu side. Um, for you, like what were some early learnings when you opened your, your jujitsu gym that, you know, somebody listening to this could, you know, take some value from? Well, I always, people always, I've had a few people ask me about this, about the business side of things. Oh, and I always okay. warn people, I'm a terrible businessman. Oh, no. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that in like a bad way. I just right. mean that that's not my central focus. I mean, I was sort of, I guess, forced into this space. I know it's, it sounds kind of negative, but that's not really it. Um, I was working at other gyms. Um, and basically when those options ran out, I was left with one option. Either I change careers because I need to pay rent or I just go hard in this direction to see if I can start my own school. So uh, I took every little bit of money that I had left, literally, I'm, I'm saying every little bit, and I bought a roll of mats. I had no money. I bought this one roll of mats. I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. And I started, uh, we have this main road here, 355 here in Rockville. And I drove up and down that road every day. And I, every time I saw a yoga place, a taekwondo place, a karate place, anything that had floor space, I begged them to let me sublease, you know, for two hours at night. I mean, I, I, I went crazy trying to get this thing started. And um, so anyway, I ended up uh, starting my, my school in a little yoga room out of a, a gym, another gym. Uh, and after about 10 months there, I gained, I had 11 students <laughs> and then I luckily found this garage space, uh, cause I was still looking for, um, to start my business outside of another gym. And I found this cheap garage space that I, that I started in and I took my 11 students and I moved over to this garage space. And honestly, man, I'm actually shocked that people walked in there and signed up. There was no sign outside. There was no light. <laughs> All I had was, I had this crappy WordPress website that I made and I was trying to, you know, learn about SEO and get people to, to find me on the internet and come in. Right. Oh, it was, it was crazy, man. I was a brown belt. Like I had, I had no affiliation. I did this by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and I, honestly, man, I think I got lucky. I, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone do anything that I did other than dedicate to whatever process you, you believe in, because that truly for me was the magic. I mean, uh, nothing really uh, came together. Well, it, uh, sort of, I felt like I, I stumbled down the hill and luckily landed on my feet. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so if you want to do something, just keep keep doing it until it works. That's that's my strongest advice. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no. Uh, it's almost an, an impossible price to pay for experience, right? It's so funny. It was very similar for me too. So I started my gym, my fitness gym. I was actually in the second story. I don't know how familiar you are with CrossFit, but I started a CrossFit gym in the second story of my martial arts gym. We were over the changing rooms. And, you know, when you're doing things like snatches and cleans and deadlifts, oh, yeah. you're like going through the floor. So we're literally coming through the floor in the top and you know, people are, are in the changing rooms getting dressed out for their session downstairs on the <laughs> martial arts side. And they've got sheetrock phone. It, it was just, you know, a complete hot mess. Much of the same. I had like a very cheap, like Intuit site. I had no idea how to optimize it and, and, and very much so failed forward and obviously hired mentors and stuff along the way and learned a bunch of things. But um, I think there, there's, there's nothing like good old fashioned experience to teach you lessons and to, you know, wisen you up super fast. And by fast, I well, mean, truly, over the course of like 10 years. <laughs> well, truly, man. I mean, I, when I started, I didn't even take out loans. I, I would use whatever I made that month 
yeah. or the, every few months to do something new to the school. So I didn't even get a, out, a sign outside of my gym for the first year. Like, understand, like, I, it was like, I, I watched this documentary called West Side vs. the World. And I was thinking, I was, uh, Louis Simmons, they were saying. Oh, yeah, that's a great uh, movie. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And they were saying, when you, go to, when you go to look for his gym, you can't even find it. The windows were blacked out. There's no sign. There's only like a phone number. And Louis himself answered. And that's sort of, honestly, how, how we were doing things, too. And I often say that I'm trying to be the West Side Barbell of Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, not in the crazy extreme way like he was, but just in the hyper-focused way. And uh, I really I center myself around my job and not my marketing. And I, my job is going to be, of course, the the marketing in and of itself because you know I'm selling myself as uh, trying to be a higher level coach. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't done anything. I haven't. I mean, other than being generally visible on Google, uh, and uh, you know, having a website that functions in social media, we don't do any other sales and marketing. We don't even prospect. We don't. We don't do email tracking. We don't do student tracking. Nothing. Uh, we basically just try to offer a really good product. We stay in communications with our student as they walk into the gym. Uh, and we have really like a, a come and go style place. You know, we don't force anyone to do anything. Even our contracts are month to month. You can cancel any time for any reason. So we try to, we're just trying to do the complete opposite. You know, the, the idea is that if my product is good enough and people, if there's, if there's a market for real training, then I'll succeed. And if not, hmm, so be it. I love that. That's, that's actually a very, um, it's a tough pill to swallow as a gym owner. And I think it, for, for coaches listening to this too, like I had this realization probably two years ago when I couldn't quite understand why retention was an issue in both of my gyms. And th what it ultimately came down to is we weren't good enough. And if, you're, if your product is good enough, you shouldn't have to market a ton. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm marketing and advertise, but I also focus on having a good product. But at the same time, like coming to terms with you know, if you're having to do all kinds of crazy things to, to retain people and stuff like that, then your product isn't good enough to, for, for people to want it. And that's just, I mean, for some people, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I've had, you know, I've done, I do some mentoring with gym owners and stuff like that. And that's often what the, the conversation will come down to sometimes. And it's hard to hear, but I also think it is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If you do hear that concept and you really embrace it, it can allow you to really spruce up your, you know, to to level up your game, if you will. Um, so, for Greg, the reason why that I find your stuff super fascinating uh, around, and I want to kind of get into the types of ways that you teach and stuff like that. But the reason sure. why I find it fascinating is it is completely opposite of tradition, right? And, of course. And, I've always find that any trailblazer, anything, any books you've ever read, any entrepreneurs, any high-level thought leader in pretty much any space, they they break from tradition and they are kind of cutting edge on the ways that they're saying things and the ways that they're they are kind of doing things. And that, that's what I kind of see in you. When did you decide to go all in on the the model that the way that you teach now versus the sure. traditional way? Well, really, I've always been kind of an iconoclast by nature. I've always been sort of a rebellious guy who did my own thing. Mm. Um, it was only through initially finding jujitsu that I learned to sort of buckle down and listen to, quote, authorities. Um, and then, you know, that ran its course pretty quickly. Um, and when I started, when I opened my own gym, um, I just needed to know I, there, there had to be a better way to do it. Mm. The gym I came from was an information processing oriented training style. We would do high repetition drilling and, you know, high frequency, high volume. And to a degree, it was effective. I mean, everything is effective until it's not right. So, sure. you know, our gym was known, Lord Evans gym was known for having, you know, hard nosed competitors who had great gas tanks and strong mentalities. And, you know, and that was all good because, you know, the training supported that. But there were also a lot of high injury rate. Uh, the, the, you know, there's a lot of other issues with it. So I decided, man, there's got to be a better way. So as I started reading, I realized that if, if, you know, once I came across the ecological approach, it was very convincing to me. Um, and so I decided, hey, if, if, if I really want to do things differently, why not, why not just go with the first thing that I'm feeling really good about? And so as I was reading these papers, reading this material, uh, it just it rung true to me. So what I would do is just start applying it a little bit as I could. And as I started gaining more and more confidence, and that really was it, I started gaining confidence. I just, just decided to implement it more deeply. Um, and the truth is, is, I didn't really fully pull the trigger until COVID. So I only had select classes where I was using the approach. You know, I would have the traditional model for the very new students because I wanted to make them feel comfortable. I wanted them to, you know, to dip their toes in the water, so to speak. But with myself and with my my committed guys, we were, you know, fully ecological since, you know, 2014, 2015. Um, but then after COVID, I decided to change my gym. I got rid of the gi classes. I got rid of the kids classes and I went full submission grappling. And I was like, man, you know, I, I experienced losing half of my student base due to some you know, external tragedy. Tragedy. If I'm going to lose my business, I'm going to do it my way. So I said, all right, man, I'm just going to go as hard as I want to. And I just fully committed. Um, and this is 2019. And I decided to change all of my classes to nothing but 
utilizing ecological dynamics as a way to acquire skill. Nice. So can you just for, for those folks out there that don't know what it may, I mean, obviously I've jumped into this and I've pretty much nerded out on any sort of source that you shared. Can you kind of define what the ecological approach is um, in, in the terms of the way that you use it with your students? For sure. So the ecological approach is a model of self-organization. So ecology uh, is the study of the individual task environment system. And so it's this idea that you're always an individual performing tasks in an environment. And as a consequence, behaviors emerge and they emerge relative to how those three things interact. So how an individual experiences their tasks, how they experience the environment will determine both the behavior and the quality of that behavior that comes out. Our behavior self-organizes around these three things. So for example, a guy who's, you know, five foot eight, 140 pounds with short arms, they'll use their body in specific ways to solve problems in the environment while performing tasks. Uh, and that, the, the behavior will, will emerge differently from, let's say, he as a type to somebody that's like my type, like six feet tall, 185, mm -hmm. you know, with long arms, for example. So the ecological approach is just a way to inform practice to take this relationship seriously, this individual task environment relationship, and try to guide it so that the behavior comes out implicitly and not through a explanatory process-based step-by-step model. Mm -hmm. um, it allows the individual to experience what's happening to them in a more organic fashion, so to speak. Gotcha. So when you're, when you're, cause you, you always talk about setting the environment and that's something I've, I've really embraced and, and full disclosure for, for those listening right now, I have pretty much started to drive my gym essentially into an ecological approach and still trying. And this is just because I fully haven't understood how to use it properly yet, Greg, like for I sure. still use some teaching methods and some like uh, explanatory type messages to people just purely because I lack the capacity to set the environment correctly. For right. you, were there were there a lot of failures along the way as you implement oh, this approach? Absolutely. I mean, failure is part of the learning process. Exactly. A lot of people avoid these new things and stick with tradition because they they attach themselves to this certainty. Like, oh, if I do it this way, I'll get this outcome because that's how I learned and that's how I now know. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is like we're, we should move ourselves to the edge of certainty. You know, if we want to really find out what works best, we have to kind of poke around in the dark a little bit. So, uh, yeah, man, try, uh, trial and error is real. You know, the, the errors we have help guide our next trial to closer towards success. So those failures are absolutely necessary and we should embrace them as deeply as possible. Gotcha. And you know, so the, so you guys, the traditional method typically around like a grappling or a jujitsu session is you come in, you warm up, you get into lines, you, uh, and, and I hear Greg poke uh, fun of this all the time. You, you, you know, roll yourself down the mat and do all kinds of funny things. You know, you're shrimping, you're doing your break falls, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And then you'll generally go into either some drilling or the technique of the day. And then you got positional sparring or sparring at the end. That's your traditional model. That's what I came up in. I'm a, uh, a brown belt. I, that, I, almost all of my instruction was that way. And, and inside of the ecological approach, Greg, can you give them a sample of what a session may look like? Um, for you, and I know this is going to change all the time. I'm sure you got different frameworks and progressions and stuff like that you use, sure. but in general, what does a practice look like for you guys? Well, first the practice is all live. So cool. we're always interacting with bodies, performing tasks. So that's something you have to understand. So you don't need to warm up any other way, like running around by yourself or doing movements up and down the mat by yourself. Really? They may, you know, get you sweaty, get your temperature up and all that stuff, but it doesn't start to build skill. The only thing that's going to build skill is what you do with your opponent because we're playing the game of interacting with another body. So without interacting with another body, we can't even start to acquire skill or the skill that we're looking for. So our class is always live and we always start with jujitsu. Um, so, I mean, I, I could give you a thousand examples of sure. how we do a class. I mean, uh, what I always tell people on these podcasts is we start with, and they're going to, people are going to get so tired of me, tired of hearing this. Uh, we start with low variability situations. So when someone's brand new, we don't want the uh, information that they're receiving within the uh, confines of, the, of the, the constraint we set to be too overwhelming. So we want to make sure that there's not a lot of variability. So if I'm teaching, let's say a pin, for example, where we're on top of somebody holding them down chest to chest, we will give them a task focus that's very simple that any human can understand when they hear it. So uh, an example is stay on top, hold your partner down. 
Now, it doesn't matter what else happens because we want to start first organizing ourselves around accomplishing that task of staying on top and holding our partner down. And then that would be the top player's task. And the bottom player would be, uh, we would give them something simple. We would say, I want you to try to use your arms and push your opponent off. Okay, and this is a basic exchange. And both players are going to start organizing around this information. The top player is going to use the information of the bottom player pushing and moving underneath them to self-organize around staying on top and holding their partner down. And the bottom player is going to self-organize around being pinned to try to use the arms to actually relieve the pressure they're experiencing. So uh, this is how we would start an exchange. Uh, we use lower time uh, constraints for newer players. So we do three minutes in this situation, succeed or fail, start again. But some of the games are continuous. We take a minute break and then we flip-flop the situation. So uh, we would do that throughout the entirety of the hour focusing on different positions and focusing on acquiring skills within those positions. So the newer the person is, the lower the variability becomes. And when, you, when you're speaking in top and bottom position, this can be anything between uh, side control, mount, guard, things like that? Yes. Uh, yeah. So let me define variability real quick. It's yeah. just the stuff that happens. Okay? okay. So how many different ways can somebody push you off? How many different looks are you going to receive when someone is trying to accomplish their task? We want that to be relatively low. So since I'm talking to people who've trained jiu-jitsu, hopefully you guys understand this, mm -hmm. passing the open guard is highly variable because there are so many ways the top player can engage with the bottom player to try to accomplish this task and so many ways the bottom player can organize their body to stop the top player from accomplishing their task. That's highly variable. But the mount is almost a discrete situation, meaning uh, it has one orientation and only small adjustments within it that allow it to still be called the mount. So it's it's low. The variability is low. You're going to ex you, you experience less of an exchange in that position than you would in a more neutral position like passing the open guard. So again, we always start beginners with these low variability situations to help keep the challenge state low, so that the their cognition is not overwhelmed with all the information they're receiving from their opponents' actions and resistances. Love that. So you, you guys, like what was very, very cool about this. So when I first heard Greg talking about this on all these different podcasts, number one, I consumed as much content as I possibly could to grasp as much of an understanding as I could. Then I went and checked out Dr. Gray um, has a, a podcast that I believe you talk about all the time, Greg. Um, yep. Checked out Dr. Gray's podcast, listened to that a ton. And then my first kind of interaction with this was implementing it inside of my kids groups. The kids groups yes. as a jujitsu instructor are easily one of the most frustrating, rewarding and <laughs> anxiety producing environments that I, I have ever been in personally in a coaching environment. And there, there was periods of time where I felt like I often was failing my students because I just couldn't get them to, you know, self-organize in a way that would put them in a, in a successful place. They weren't able to implement moves. They weren't able to do anything. And then we started playing these simple games around, um, you know, putting them in environments that are very simple, using things like instead of, you know, to, to, to speak to what Greg was kind of saying with, you know, having a partner holding them down, you know, we try to tell them, you know, use your underhook, bump, shrimp, like all these like technical terms and they just couldn't quite get it. But when I just simply said, get your opponent off of you, put your feet or your hips back in front of their body, all of a sudden now everybody's putting themselves, you know, in a better situation, you know, and then we started playing kind of top down open guard games. And then um, for the first time, the other day, we played a game where we were essentially teaching kids how to do a basic butterfly sweep. And I was watching kids butterfly sweep without even telling them how to do a butterfly sweep. I was just like, you know, insert your hooks under their legs, put your partner on their butt or put their partner on your back or put their hands on the mat. And it was interesting to watch all of these these exchanges take place with little to no technical coaching. Now, what I, what I found when I started moving this into my adult sessions with people, there was, there was kind of two, two, I guess, typical ways that I found that people were receiving this. One was there was the, the people who were excited, the people that come just for sparring anyways, and they just get to do it the entire time anyways. Uh, now they get to basically do it the entire time with the restraints that I put on it. And then the other group was, well, I'm not learning any techniques. So like, what are we doing here? Right. And, and I yeah. know that you, you're, you're probably laughing guys. He's laughing because he's probably had this happen to him a million times. Right. Greg, please. Um, if you would, how were you handling? Cause I'm sure you experienced this. How were you handling these situations and these pushbacks? Uh, okay. So with my group, I just, I first focused on uh, something I learned from Lloyd. Lloyd used to say this thing. He said, culture is king. Mm -hmm. The reason culture is king is if you set the culture and everyone accepts it. 
everyone who comes in afterwards will accept what's already set. So it, it basically, re it helps to regulate the environment itself without you having to interject. And so that was the first thing that I did. I changed the culture with the people that were committed and already at my gym. I said, hey guys, we're gonna start doing this. Here's why. You know, if you have any questions, please talk to me, but let's, let's go ahead and get started and change this thing. I have a better way to do this. And so first I just kind of set a new expectation. I set a new standard and then we started working towards those ends. And what that did, it, it helped reinforce the people coming in afterwards. So new students would come in and they would have the same issue. I'd have the guys who thought it was super fun because they got to roll the whole time. And the other person was like, well, when am I going to do the learning? Mm. And I'm like, you are learning. Uh, sometimes I would have to use an, ex I would use an example. Okay. I would say, okay, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to teach you a technique. Here's step one, step two, step three, step 13. Go ahead, do it. He's like, wait, I can't, what's step four? And I'm like, all right, well, let's change it. Hold your partner down. And I let, which one's easier? You know, remembering 14 steps or just telling you to do this one thing. So anyway, so I set the culture, I changed the expectations, changed the standards, and it was easier to get the uninitiated initiated once they experienced a room full of people doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so now I don't, ex I don't really explain myself anymore. Like, I, I, you know, it sounds kind of, kind of asshole-ish, but <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, look, man, you know, this is how we do things. You know, there are many other schools around the area. You know, feel free to try them out uh, and go where, what's best for you. Like, I don't convince people. That's not my job. I'm not a man of authority. I'm a man of reason. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of done with the explaining thing. <laughs> gotcha. So I set the call. My, my gym functions really well. We've been doing this for so long. Uh, it, there was some growing pains at first, of course, like everything else, but now it's just easy. Uh, and again, like I said, that's all I did. I just decided to sort of ignore the people that were causing big problems um, and say, Hey man, you're either w you're with it or you're not, but you keep trying your best and I'll answer any questions you may have. But uh, yeah, that's how I handled it really. Yeah. And, and I only go ahead. I'm saying I only laugh because, you know, when you're dealing with an adult, they have expectations based on the constraints of their culture and their their external environments. So, you know, they're they're watching YouTube, they're reading Reddit, they 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 think they know what training is, and so that's really what you're defeating as they come in. Where with children, like you mentioned, they don't have any of those expectations. They're just there to play. You know what I mean? So that's really why the approach works so well with kids. And I used it uh, for kids for about 10 years. Uh, and kids are actually incredibly easy to teach utilizing this method, uh, much easier than adults anyway. You know, as an instructor, the, the kids session was what I dreaded every single week. I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to go in. I got to teach these, these kids. What am I going to show them? How am I going to get them to it, to do anything? Now it's just kind of fun because it, I just tell them we're, we're going to play jujitsu and just that simple term of like, we're going to, you know, we're going to play the game of jujitsu. This game, the top, you know, top partner wins by doing X bottom partner wins by doing X. And then I just simply give them a starting position and, uh, a definitive terms on how to win the quote unquote game. And then I just sure. let them go. And then we watch them yep. do jujitsu. It's the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And it's, <laughs> it's even interesting to watch some of my new white belts do it in our fundamental sessions just watching them, you know, playing complex games like, you know, using their feet in the open guard position to hook and to post and working on gripping ankles. And, and you know, we still do traditional with the gi and stuff too. So we're, you know, we're putting games around gripping and stuff like that. And it's fascinating, but it's always the advanced folks that I feel the pushback from because they're like not learning things. Um, so when you're creating these environments, you're, you know, you're creating your start position and you're defining the terms of, you know, winning the games or excelling in the games. Um, mm -hmm. How do you go about, if, if at all, how do you go about showing the variability within certain environments? Cause I mentioned to, I mentioned a second ago when I'm, I'm doing as much of the ecological stuff as I can with my current capacity of understanding. But there are times when I run into situations where, for, for me personally, and this is a 100% selfish question, where me personally, I am unable to basically define the dip, because, you know, every environment, there's 20 different paths that can go down, and I feel compelled to show some of these paths just to give context. How do you yeah. personally handle those situations as a coach to get people to go down certain paths, or do you do it at all? Well, so here's one of the misunderstandings of the constraints that approach is gotcha. an aspect of, of ecology is that we're not constraining to get a specific outcome like this right way. We're constraining to get any effective outcome. So we're embracing variability. We're not trying to reduce it. I always tell my students variability is acceptable as long as there is consistency and outcome. We have to know what we want the win objective to be, and we have to know what the win that the win objective is directly connected to um, the problems we're facing in the entire game. So, for example, 
uh, if we're passing guards, you know, it's a top player, our ultimate goal is to get chest to chest or chest to back. We know this. So any action or any task focus that we give that gets that allows the top player to learn how to get closer to the bottom player, chest to chest or chest to back, is a right action. So no matter how many different paths that are there to get there, we just want to see if they can get there. And so we make the tasks based on invariance, things that have to happen in order to get closer to your opponent. So the basic principle that we use for guard passing is something we call segmentation. The idea is that we have to attack the periphery, the head, the arms, and the legs to gain access to center mass, the hips and shoulders. So the only way we can do this is we can segment the periphery. Okay, so the first aspect that touches you are the ends of the limbs, the feet and hands. The next are the knees and elbows. And then lastly, we get access to the center line, hips and shoulders. And so when we create tasks around guard passing, we create them around segmentation. So I don't care how many different ways my students segment, as long as they can segment. And as long as, as they beat each segment, they can hold the next one in front of them long enough to advance to the next, to advance to the next until they ultimately reach their goal. So I don't explain the variation. I allow it to exist. I only explain the outcome and what I want. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, to kind of to kind of speak that back to you to make sure I'm understanding it correctly, you're saying that there is not a specific technical aspect that you're. Or I'm sorry, not a specific specific technical outcome that you're seeking. Just simply their ability to seek an outcome to get to the destination that you're putting in front of them. Yes. So let's let's change some language here. So sure. everyone is confused by the word technique. Gotcha. Technique just means solution to the problem. Love so that. it's a way that a person once did something to solve a problem they were facing in the environment. That's all a technique is. And it's one of many. Even a technique as is defined by an individual is different for that individual every time they use it. So let's say you have somebody who's very good at a specific pass. You say, okay, I got my DVD on the unstoppable knee cut, right? Even that guy who's a master at that movement uses it differently every single time they do it. There is this consistency that people are looking for doesn't really exist in the solution. It exists in the outcome. So the idea is that we want to solve the problem as many ways as possible. So we want to let the solutions be variable, but we want the outcomes to be consistent. And so this is one of the reasons why the ecological approach is so strong, because it embraces this concept. And this concept is something that exists in nature. It was originally discovered by a researcher, Nikolai Bernstein. He called it the degrees of freedom problem. It was this idea that our limbs articulated in so many degrees that it was hard to freeze them into a perfect set pattern every single time we tried. So there was this natural variation that would arise because we can't control all the different ways the shoulder articulates or the elbow articulates. So anyway, we have to allow that to exist. And to say technique is to really miss, miss the point, right? We want a skill. Okay, a technique is just a single moment in time that you solve the problem once. A skill is something you can do repeatedly at a low energy cost in a timely manner. And that's what we want. We want skills. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you, so I, I had this thought, having gone and jumped headfirst into this pr- approach and stuff like that, I found that it really takes some time as the instructor to truly. I found, for, for instance, I'm just speaking for myself. I can't speak for any other practitioner that may be yeah, listening sure. to this, but I find for myself that I very much, I had trouble articulating, like to, to use the, the, the way that I used to kind of look at this, to, to articulate certain techniques because I often just would react in certain situations and I had problems articulating them to others. Because I was like, I don't know, for I sure. just kind of moved this way. And then you know, I factor in the fact that I'm 225.65, um, my body type is a little bit different than most of the people that I instruct. So there's another barrier. Sure. There. <laughs> so I found that really starting to set the environment with the ecological method has helped me to bridge this gap because it makes sure that I truly understand how things work and what are the, you know, the different things going on in the environment in certain situations. Would you say that that is a big barrier for a lot of coaches to not jump into this because maybe they don't truly understand how certain things work or do you just yes. think they're just kind of stuck in their ways well i think it's a combination of all all, all of those things you just said so stuck in the ways is probably just probably one of the first things you know we don't want to change you know if, we're, if we have a good school and we're comfortable and we're getting the outcomes we think we, we want why change right so of course uh but i think that honestly the deeper reason and people think i'm arrogant and sometimes i guess i am but <laughs> Uh, I mean, whatever, you know, we all have I wouldn't say arrogance. Traits, right? I, I, w- I wouldn't say arrogance. I would say certainty. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really feel certain. Actually, I'm, I'm a man full of doubt. It's just I have to gotcha. speak with confidence, right? So yeah. I'm trying to accomplish the task. So until I'm proven wrong or until I see something wrong, I go forward. But uh, I think everyone's subject matter expertise for grappling is low. I think that since we've all, we've only come from a technique, sharing technique, sharing technique community, all people are is a, they're a collection of techniques. You know, like an instructor is like, this is a knee cut, this is an arm lock. And that's all they know. They don't know what grappling is fundamentally. And I think that's what that that's the huge barrier to entry. Like I, I've, since October, I've been talking to hundreds of people every week. You know, I mean, I, my, my phone goes crazy. I've said this a bunch. <laughs> and what I realize is when when I try to talk to them, they don't even they don't know the difference between skill and technique, for example. They don't know the difference. They don't know what situations arise and why they arise. They don't know. I, so it's really difficult for them to design a practice because they don't know what's happening fundamentally, right? Like, how are you going to uh, build a house unless you understand the fundamental nature of structure? You're not going to know, you know, what hardness of material to buy. You're not going to know um, how to structure it to receive weight from different sides. You're, there's so much you're not going to know unless you understand the fundamental nature of what you're doing. And again, I think truly, truly, that's that's the problem. People don't understand what they're looking at. <laughs> gotcha. So for a person... So, so for me, I know personally, I've had to really take a look. Like if I'm, like as an example, we will plan a practice. Uh, I often will do like plannings on Sundays of just like what, what sort of concepts and things that I would like to go through. And we do two week increments and I've got questions around that for how you do things too. But you know, I plan my curriculum and stuff like that. And then I often now spend time thinking of how to set these games inside of there. And what I found for me personally, and, and, and I'd love to hear you speak to this is, and obviously you've been doing this for a while, so I'd love to kind of know when you started to really dive into this, what it changed in your personal training game. But I found now that in a lot of different situations I find myself in and enrolling and things of that nature, um, I almost, I'm, I'm going to use the word invincible. I'm sure I'm not having okay. <laughs> been, been given, you know, against, you know, more uh, stiff competition. But for the most part, people that used to really give me a run in certain roles, or no longer give me challenge because I feel like I really understand certain situations more to where I'm just pretty much in an, in, in, in a uh, timing wise, almost always ahead of them as far Listen, as like certain situations. Did you experience that? Yes. What you're noticing is real. That's a yeah. real thing. Um, it's because your implicit system is active. I, and here's what's interesting. If you watch high level athletes in a performance context, like a finals world's match or like a, you know, a tennis finals match, they're moving at a rate that you almost can't explain. They react to variation on, on, on a moment's notice. They're, they're, they look so beautiful like there's no thought. And the truth is, is that's what's happening, right? They're not thinking about things anymore. They're just part of the environment. They're so attuned to the information they're picking up that their perception action is linked fully and they're just expressing themselves as the situation dictates. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. We're accessing that utilizing this training methodology. We're basically turning off that explicit mode where we're trying to make these lists. Okay, first this, first this, and this. Instead, we're picking up information directly from the environment as to what to do about the situations we're finding ourselves in. And it creates this almost immediate response and fluidness. I'm, it's a real thing I experience in the gym all the time. And visitors, as they come visit, they say the same thing. Like, oh my God, I can't even win a grip fight with you guys. <laughs> I, 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 I'm being serious because yeah. my guys aren't remembering anything anymore. They're just interacting with their environment as it unfolds based on a conceptual framework. And it, it makes action more fluid. It really, it truly does. I mean, that's the goal, right? So if you, if you research um, ecological dynamics, ecological psychology in general, and the effect that it has on the emergent quality of behavior, you'll hear these two terms, adaptable and flexible. So adaptable is the, is the way that you use your movement system to solve a multitude of problems, no matter what their rate of change. So let's say the, the guard is changing, right? But no matter how much the bottom player is changing their legs in shape, I'm still able to segment and get closer to the hips, right? No matter what the orientation is. Well, that's an adaptable skill then. Um, but if I can only get to your hips, if I put you square, step my lead leg in front of your knees, well, that's a rigid skill. That means that I have to orient the environment in such a specific way to get a specific outcome that if I don't reach it, I can't accomplish my task. Um, and flexible being, um, it, it's not bothered by perturbations. So hard movements, things that change drastically don't mess up my ability to perform the skill. So again, this is what you're, this is what you're experiencing. Yeah, and, and we I, all experience it, and, and it's been pretty. It's been pretty cool to watch because I, I see this a lot in my like my newer students compared to some of my older students. The newer students don't know enough to 
to, to really be confused by the contrast between the two different teaching methodologies. So what I'm For finding sure. is that their, their, uh, their, their growth inside of their practice is, has exponentially grown through doing some of this too. And I was actually sharing with one of my guys the other day, just simply telling him that I truly believe having watched this now for, I, I don't remember the first time that I reached out to you on social media, but that day was the first day that I actually implemented it. I can't tell you, um, uh, just how excited I am to watch what happens. Cause I was telling my guy the other day, I said, look, the way that we only practice things on resisting opponents all the time, when we know nobody in our immediate area is even doing anything close to this. Imagine because you've had so many repetitions against a resisting opponent in both pinning positions, submission type positions, um, in different transitional periods that we play games around. Like imagine that you only meet resistance in these positions all the time. Imagine what that's going to do for your game. Um, you, go ahead. It's, you know, it's, it's crazy to even think about if you just played a numbers game. So yeah. if you took a year, a year of students at one academy and a year of students say our academy, our, my advanced students who train six to seven days a week do at, I say, not even less, eight to, they do eight 10 minute rounds, eight to 10 10 minute rounds every single day. Okay. Uh, let's see, just add on average. And if you were to just put that in time, you were to times that by 52. That's pure grap live resistance grappling work in one year. And you were to compare that to the traditional method of experience in live situations where they're doing 20 to 30 minutes of grappling a day. And we're doing, you know, it, it's, and let's say that they train the same amount of time. We're doing five times the work per week. It, it's, it's not even comparable. And we see the result. We get visitors coming in and like we have, you know, bunch of people recently because of the podcast, you know, purple and above purple, brown, black, they, and I say this and I know and people are tired of it, blah, blah, blah. My two-year students smash them. It's not, it's not even comparable. It doesn't, it looks crazy to watch. It will crazy to watch. So yeah, of course, of course. You're absolutely yeah. right. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited just to see how this thing plays out over time, especially with my, uh, with my younger students, obviously just, you know, in the past we would go to competitions and our kids would just get mauled, right? You know, the area that we're at, we, I've had many conversations about like, you know, there's a, there's a local black belt around here. He came and did a seminar with us and he has a very successful kids program. And he told me sometimes it's a numbers game of just, you know, for every 10 students, you get uh, children, students, one of them is like super interested in the sport and wants to pursue it and ends up being good. But when you get, you know, constant exposure to high amounts of, of people all the time, eventually you will build a population of students that all want to be there. Whereas I find a lot of my students personally are just very recreational until yep. the past few months <laughs> or now, uh, I'm gonna use the term killers. Obviously they're not killers, right? But they're, they're getting after it, man. They're, they're only yeah. my, and now the newer students that came in only under an ecological approach only know that we play jujitsu for the entire 45 to 50 minutes that we're in session. We're going to be going the That's entire great. time. It's not like we do skill and then a spar after it's no, we're getting after it the entire time. And it's crazy to watch even some of my, I'll say more softer students that are just, uh, they've, They've got this this fire in their belly, and they're getting after it. And it's been like wonderful to watch. Um, I, I got to tell you this too. So, um, some coach, some some coaches that are going to listen to this and want to implement it. Um, I know a lot of my instructors are actually looking forward to me having you on and stuff like that too, and they're going to listen to this. Um, when you first started implementing this, or when other people reach out to you and they start implementing this, what are some common issues that you're finding across the board with them? Okay, so one, most people don't have a conceptual framework to hang all of these tasks on. Okay. Okay, so they don't have an overall objective for each practice or understanding the whole game of jujitsu. Okay. And so that that's a limiting factor. That's going to be a problem. The second thing is they want these games to replace technique. Everyone's asking me, do you have a list of games? Do you have a list of games? No, man, you have to constantly change the games because your students change. So the games have to change. The tasks have to change. So it's not it's not like a replacement it's not like a plug and play where if i give you a list of 27 different games that your students are going to be better if we think of it like that it's going to be no different than the techniques it's like john danner has the best information so if you copy his information you're going to be have successful but what happens when everybody has this information what's going to be the differentiating factor okay it's the same thing with our method if if our method is just a bunch of games and everyone plays the same games you know what i mean so again it's just we have to understand our subject. We have to have a conceptual framework to filter all this behavior through. And the tasks that we create have to be specific to our room, our environment, and our students. So there's just a couple of problems that I see. Again, 
Um, they don't understand the concept of specificity. They don't have a conceptual framework. Um, and the subject matter expertise uh, of grappling itself is a little bit low. Um, so these are the, the problems that, like the major problems that people are facing now. And uh, so I think it's going to take a while to heal that. Like a bunch, people are going to have to come together and start talking about this in a more deep way. Gotcha. Um, so, so how do you, how do you go about planning? So you, you're, you, you said like using conceptual frameworks and stuff like that. Um, I, I think I know what you're talking about, but kind of go into like, that I, for me. Like what, yeah. like when you sit down, you're like, okay, I'm going to plan Tuesday practice. Like, what does that look like? What are the, some of the thought processes that you're running through? Okay. So you have to understand first how we look at jujitsu. Okay. So the first thing is, is we have to understand the objective of the game. The objective of the game is to immobilize our opponents. So we can strangle or break their limbs. Right. So that's the objective. Now, while playing that objective, um, we have, we find one major problem. We call it the movement problem. Uh, since we know there's a relationship between immobility and strangle ability and immobility and breakability, if someone is mobile, we can't strangle or break them. So we have to go about immobilizing our opponent and the way they're going to resist that is through movement. So that's the objective and problem. So now as these uh, objectives and problems interact, what are the major situations that always arise? So the major situations that we have to build skill in that ultimately lead from a start of a fight to an end of a fight are the standing situation top bottom, the guarded situation top bottom, the pinning situation top bottom. Uh, so that is our conceptual framework. We have to learn how to immobilize our opponent for strangulation and breaking against the resistance of motion from the standing situation, the guarded situation, and the pinning situation. So that's the conceptual framework. Okay. Okay. And so what I do is we plan tasks to help students understand this. And what we're always trying to do at all times is segment the periphery, the arms, the legs, and the head to gain access to center mass, the hips and shoulders, so that we can immobilize center mass, i.e. the hips and shoulders, so we can isolate and re-attack the periphery. So that is literally, if I were to take my whole program and put it into a nutshell, everything I told you is it. And then our tasks help us understand that process or develop skill within that process so we can accomplish the goal of submitting, immobilizing and submitting our opponent. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so so you, you kind of have a, you take your frameworks and then you basically plug them into whatever specific part of that framework that you want to work. Correct. Through. So when we're working in the standing situation, the first thing we have to understand is how to segment the Well, You can start wherever you want, really, sure. because learning is, is nonlinear. So it doesn't really matter where you start. We start with low variability and we move our way back, back out to high variability um, for a mul multitude of reasons. Um, but if, let's say we were to do it the other way. Uh, if we were to look at the process of starting, standing, and ending in the submission, we would first have to understand how to hand fight or pass each other's arms so we can get to the body. All right. Once we get to the body, we have to then work on putting it down on the floor either belly down or back down, okay? So we can start applying chest to chest or chest to back contact. In that process, once we hit, the periphery is going to be represented to us. So the guard, the arms and legs are going to come back in front of us, you know? So both players are going to have to work those skills. The top player is going to have to re-segment re that periphery so he can pin the center mass to the ground. And the bottom player is going to have to work on use it, utilizing the periphery to stop the gap from closing from the top player, right? So again, all our games just reinforce the skills that are required to perform the tasks from each of the positions, top and bottom. Gotcha. And Greg, I've heard you say before that every single practice, you guys play the entire game of jujitsu. So when you, right. when you use that terminology, are you simply saying basically what you kind of went through right there? Are you starting in a standing position and working all the way to a pinning position on the ground? Or are you starting a pinning position and working your way back up? Like, how does that kind of sequence go? Yeah. So in the fundamentals class, I mean, I'm talking about day one to six months, we only do pinning and guarded situations, top and bottom. We don't do any standing situation. Okay. Um, the reason we don't do that is not because you shouldn't, because I think you should mm -hmm. really, it's a, it's, for me, it's a cultural constraint. It's a problem with the practitioner. We're dealing with adults that are scared of falling and they don't really know if they want to do jujitsu yet. Falling is the greatest cause of injury. So we just minimize the, uh, lack of, we, we want to have a little more certain of an environment for the new players because they haven't committed yet. Mm -hmm. So anyway, staying on the ground, top and bottom, pins and guards is really the safest and easiest way to introduce people to the sport of grappling, right? And then anyway, but the, but in the intermediate to advanced level of training uh, classes, we always have a standing situation every day. So basically, we do always something from a standing situation, always something from a guarded situation, and always something from a pinning situation. And then we play the whole game, like literally whole rounds, right? So 
there's not an aspect of jujitsu that we do not touch daily, you know? So again, it's always guards interacting top bottom, pins interacting top bottom, standing situation interacting top bottom, and then a few rounds of the whole game. Gotcha. How often are you rotating your, uh, so tip, typically guys, when, when folks are planning jujitsu practices, I know our black belt and a lot of instructors I've had in the past will run in like, you know, one to four week, you know, blocks of time where they're working on certain situations. And Greg, it kind of sounds like you, uh, have a sequence of like playing the whole game all the time. I'm interested to know if you personally, do you, do you run kind of the same games, if you will, on a, on a weekly basis or are these games ever changing session to session for your students? Okay. So for the, the foundations class, it's the same games in the same situation for a week. Okay. This is because we're dealing with people who come two times a week to four times a week, typically. So the guys coming two times a week, if we switch too much variability, they won't even fucking know where to, they won't even <laughs> better get started. I mean, and I, honestly, it's on them. Yeah. So, and, and I always tell people, you know, everyone comes to Jitsu for different reasons, but four days a week should be your personal minimum if you want to become a skilled player. But if you're two days a week, no problem. Have fun with your friends. No big deal. Enjoy Jitsu. But anyway, so, so we keep it consistent. So Monday through Thursday, it's roughly and i say roughly because sometimes i'll change a thing here or there but roughly it's the, the position that we're playing and the games that we're trying to use to help acquire the skill from that position the same for the first four days of the week friday and saturday are open mats and then the next week we do the opposition so but like last week we were working on the top of the mounted position okay for the foundations class this week we're working on the bottom of the mounted position right so again we go top bottom top bottom weekly pin guard pin guard pin guard pin guard Okay, so again, two weeks would be pins, two weeks would be guards, two weeks would be pins, two weeks would be guards, top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom. And we just constantly do that uh, because we want, because they're doing their uh, beginner's training is more specific and starting in a position and spending a whole week there. If you wait too long for, to show them something else, the variability of practice effect won't occur and they won't see enough of the game to really understand what the whole game is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So we want them to see the whole game as much as possible, but not so much that it's, there's so much variability. They, they don't know what the hell they're working on. Um, does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that, that's actually really good context. Um, so I'm curious too, to, to follow with that a little bit. So for you in your mind, right, right now, and this could be my limited thinking still and, and still working to grasp concepts that you're speaking about. Uh, and no, like I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a loyal follower at this point of, of this, this <laughs> message, man, and I'm down with it. So um, I'm trying to expand my capacity as fast as I can. I'm, I'm, I'm taking breadcrumbs, sure. bro, so just keep it going. Um, yeah. My current level of thinking right now, personally, is, um, and this is just, I was talking with my instructor the other day about this. Um, not my personal instructor, but like one of my team guys. And I, I was saying, I have kind of a concept in mind. Let's say I'm going to show... You know, uh, like this week is an example, we're working on side control and I want to kind of get to where, you know, I'm showing some submissions. So show, maybe I'm showing a bread cutter or a far side arm bar or something like that. I've got that technique or sorry, that skill in my head or that position in my head. And then I try to create games around mm -hmm. that. Right. So, um, as an example, I've seen that you, you know, you were showing like an arm triangle, starting from the mounted yeah. position and you had them start kind of in the position holding it. Then you had them working to finish it and then you had them working to get to it. Um, that almost seemed like a framework for me. So when you're showing, when you, when you're creating practices and stuff like that, do you still have a technique or a concept in your mind and then reverse engineer that? Um, oh, and do you only, for only for submissions, only submissions. for submissions. This is where people get confused. So gotcha. I, they'll say, you don't teach techniques, but I saw an arm triangle. Well, there's only two strangles that you can do in all of jujitsu, mm -hmm. naked and arm in. Mm -hmm. So naked just means your arm is doing double closure on both sides. Uh, arm in is when their arm is an aspect of strangulation or compression. So that's it. So I don't care how you line it. Arm triangles, leg triangles, buggy chokes, they're all, you know, <laughs> guillotines. <laughs> Although those are all arm in. Yeah. You know, guillotines, very naked. I mean, they're, it's, you know, it's all, all the same shit. So, uh, that's why for submissions, we can be a little bit more prescriptive, right? We can say, start in this alignment, work towards compression, start in this alignment, work towards hyperextension start in this alignment, work towards twisting because there are so many different ways you can do it. Like arms only break two ways. You hyperextend them or you twist them, right? Mm -hmm. Legs the same way. So again, submissions are things that I teach a little more discreetly. Like I said, I put them in the, the position itself and then I play the control aspect. I play the breaking aspect and then I play the precursor aspect. Um, but for like guard passing, I don't show 
anything remotely resembling a technique. My students don't even know what Toriando's knee cuts. They don't even hip folders, you know, Z, what are the fuck? They don't know what it is. <laughs> they never even, because but anyway, but they know what strength, yeah. they know what a head and arm is. They know what a triangle is. They know what a guillotine is. Just because, again, there's so, there's no variation of them really. Right. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Like how, how many different variations of the, the, the rear strangle are there? There's one. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So when you're showing, when you're showing submissions, it's more, um, there is more of kind of like a step-by-step -step process that you have them practice against a resisting opponent. Just, just trying to re repeat back to what you're saying to so people can kind of hear that. They're not steps. There's priorities. Gotcha. So that, I was actually teaching this to the class last night. So we use a priority based system, right? So if we know what causes what outcome and what, or what behavior begets one behavior for the outcome, then we have to know where we are within that process and we have to prioritize it. So if we know that extending an arm away from the center line or contracting it in towards the center line is the precursor for shoulder access, then that must happen before we can acquire shoulder access. So it's not that it's a step-by-step, -step, it's, it's a process. So I, I have to get that, I have to expose the shoulder to so I can isolate the arm. So if I can't contract the elbow in first or extend it away first, then I can't get to the shoulder. So if a behavior must exist before another behavior can occur, then yes, we will say this is paramount on the list of priorities if you're in this specific alignment, right? Um, and for submissions, these tend to be a little bit more serial, like step by step by step, because they're at the end of the game. They're very, almost very, they're very specific. Do you know what I'm saying? For sure, for sure. That makes but, perfect sense. And that actually speaks yeah. to, because uh, sometimes as I'm playing a practice and I'm thinking through submissions, I'm like, well, how do I play a game with, around this without actually showing, you know, you can't say like, you know, push the arm across, squeeze, or maybe you can, but it's like, well, you know, you got to kind of have the arm aligned in a certain position to make sure that you do get good, uh, you know, closure on one side, you know what I mean? So um, I kind of would beat myself up because I'm like, man, I don't understand this position well enough to come up with a game. And I'd, you know, I'd find a little frustration there. And that's when I would, well, you know, hit up Greg on Instagram. <laughs> well, yeah, no, for sure. Or you yeah. could just really take a critical look. Something that I used to do a lot, I don't do it much anymore, but I would watch videos of people competing. So okay. I, I would just watch how, I, I would try to find as many, let's say head and arm strangles, we're talking about that, as many matches with head and arm strangles I could possibly find. And as I was watching them, I'd ask myself, what's really happening, Okay what like uh not what people are telling me but what am i seeing where do i see success where do i see failure where are the differences where are the commonalities and this would help me develop a deeper understanding of you know what actually was going on and then i would use that understanding to enhance my own and then i would design games around what i thought i was seeing gotcha and you know and so we understand there's the control aspect this is your ability to hold something for an extended period of time and there's a relationship with time in position and successful outcome. So for example, if you can't, if you can only hold a head arm strangle for two seconds, you're not going to have a lot of time to line it up. So again, we want to make sure we can hold the position for an extended period of time. The second are mechanics for strangulation or breaking. This is how we actually align ourselves once we have control to finish the fight, right? So we need some experience there. And then we have the precursors, which allow us to reach these alignments. And these are typically low variability in and of themselves within submission context anyway. Gotcha. Love it, man. A lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of substance in this in this episode, you guys. So I'm, so I'm hoping you got your uh, your tablets and your notepads out, getting some. Greg, I'm curious. You talked a little bit about like what you do to kind of consume information right now. I'm always fascinated by the way in which people learn and the way in mm -hmm. which people go about seeking out information. I know it's common for. Um, at least what I've found in, in, in my years of training is that it's often in the, in the grappling jiu-jitsu space that people kind of get to a certain place and they, they kind of run to the end of the, the road, if you will, as far as places they can go to personally learn. And then they often have to sink out, you know, uh, watching things live like you spoke about and stuff like that. So just curious, what do your study patterns look like? And, and mm. like, where does Greg Souders go to learn? Uh, so most notably my own room. So I teach classes seven days a week. I'm always watching bodies interact. And when I'm a coach, I'm a coach. There's no phone in my hand. There's no nothing. My eyes are on my students. I'm on the mat. I'm watching what's happening. And so I, I really truly feel that's for me, the, my best learning that I can do. The live environment is rife with information. And if we just look at it long enough, we start to know where to look. We're going to pull out things that we didn't see before. We're going to enhance our perception and we're going to be able to understand more deeply what we're looking at. Uh, so my own room is going to be like 80% 
of what I use. And also my own experimentation. So if I come up with a task constraint and I put my students to work, I, I want to see the outcome. Some, some are better than others. And again, I, I learn, I learn about that too. I learn about, you know, how other people organize their bodies, how they think, how they move, why they move, why they make this decision over that decision. So again, there's a lot within your own room. Uh, the next is competition footage. For, for me particularly, I love international freestyle wrestling. To me, that is the purest form of skilled grappling that we currently have. There is no better grappling athlete on the planet Earth than a, a, a high-level international freestyle wrestler. These guys are the pinnacle of grappling to me. They're, the way they make decisions, the way they structure their bodies, the way they understand control is, is, is uh, the pinnacle of it. So I watch a lot of that to develop a lot of understanding of how structures interact in a dynamic way. Um, and then, then the last piece is actually books. You know, I, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of uh, subject matter experts. I try to get their opinions. Like I spoke to Rob Gray last week for the first time. I was thrilled. We had an hour Zoom meeting and I oh, was really just, cool. oh man, that was incredible. Because, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, you're my professor and you don't know you are. I've been yeah. learning from you since, yeah. you know, 2016. And anyway, so that was great. I always, call, anyway, them that, virtual, always call them virtual mentors. Like they don't know oh, yeah. mentors, but they're totally my mentors. Oh, dude, he was, he, yeah. man, he was good in my development. So yeah, so again, my own room. Uh, match footage, specifically right now, international freestyle wrestling, and then uh, subject matter uh, books. So I read a lot of stuff about ecology all the time. Gotcha. Would you say now, like, because um, a lot of people are probably going to listen to this and want to kind of go either embrace it or look to implement it themselves. Like, would you say, um, like for me, even even the other day, I would, you know, I had some games planned and, you know, one or two of the games didn't go well. So I had to make adjustments and stuff like that. Um, so my my thought always is like to kind of keep my plan in pencil, meaning like just be okay to change yep. stuff on the fly. Like, do you find that as people start implementing this, that is a mindset that they're going to have to keep going into these situations in their room? Oh, yes. They're never going to change. Trial and error is real. Gotcha. The variation is real. Ecology is real. It's always adjusting. Like even you as a person, you're never the same dude even when you go into the gym. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're a little heavier. Sometimes you're a little lighter. Sometimes you're weaker from the workout the day before. You will never the same person. So the environment's never the same. The tasks are never the same. Chaotic, randomized variation is present within the system at all times. That's even in our own understanding. So we, it, you know, what we're doing isn't hardware. It's software. It constantly has to be updated. So if you think otherwise, you're already missing the point. Uh, so it's this. this is not... A plug and play method where you can just you know put it in the system and let it go to a degree you can but guess what every day after you let it go you have to see what the results are and adjust to them so it's actually a more involved form of coaching so yeah so no you gotta maybe ready to change at all times nice nice um so to kind of to protect your time there mr greg i'm sure you're gonna go and, and coach some sessions today um can you can you give some resources out for people to go to to learn more about it i know your social media is a, a great place to kind of go and learn you've been sprucing that up a lot um, but I know there are podcasts and books that you've mentioned on a few other shows. Like what are the resources that you would recommend for people looking to get started and start digesting some of this? So I, I, I sort of get this, I get the same, it was three books. Now it's four because Rob Gray put out another one. So, oh. <laughs> uh, how we learn to move by Rob Gray okay. and how we learned how we to op, excuse me, how we optimize movement by Rob Gray, read both of those books. They're, they're the easiest access point to all the stuff that I'm talking about. Uh, his his YouTube channel. Uh, it's it's long now. It's been out for uh, six years. And there's a lot of information, but it's totally worth the listen if you're uh, academically minded. And then the two books that are a little more dense, that are a little not not so accessible, are an introduction to ecological psychology. It's a college level textbook. And then you have um, nonlinear pedagogy for skill acquisition. It's another uh, academically minded book. Uh, they're a little tougher, they're a little more dense, but if you can get through four of those books, you, you're, you're not going to want to talk to me anymore. So um, the, all the information that I'm using comes from those four sources to a large degree, plus anything Rob Gray does. And then there's a smattering of other things, but those, those four things are, I think, a great starting point. Love it, man. Greg, this show, uh, just like many other you've done, is jam-packed with information, and I'm sure people will be excited to kind of go through this um, and, and probably listen to it multiple times. There's a few shows that you've been on where I've had to listen to it a couple times. So, um, man, I appreciate your time. It's been awesome having you on. Where can people go to learn more about you and to, to, to connect with you? Uh, so I always tell people to go to my Instagram. I like to do little, little voice messages when people ask me questions because I get so many. I'm a little bit overwhelmed at the moment. So I would say just Instagram for now. I mean, I'm getting I'm getting so many emails and stuff. It's, I can't really keep up. We're actually I'm trying to find a way to handle that now. But uh, um, 
at GD Souders or uh, at Standard Jiu-Jitsu. Feel free to follow us. Please follow us and then and, uh, reach out to me on there. That would be best. Yeah, man. Nice, man. Well, Greg, like I said, man, I appreciate your time. Um, wealth of knowledge and, and, and a, a very refreshing new sound to, you know, what can seem like a, 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 uh, an old traditional martial arts. I mean, I, I appreciate you trailblazing and, and I'm excited to just kind of watch, you know, all the other things that you come up with. Cool, man. Thank you for having me on again. It was a pleasure talking to you uh, and for yourself and everyone else who's listening. We allow all visitors to come to my gym anytime for free. Uh, so if you guys are ever in the East Coast of the United States, in Rockville, Maryland, come to Standard Jiu-Jitsu and you can experience all this for yourself. Nice, man. Thanks. Yeah, brother. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and tuning into the Virtuous Coach podcast. I release episodes every single week. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any. You can learn more about me by following me over at Instagram and Facebook at Coach Cody Smith. Lastly, and before you go, I would love your help. Please head on over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star rating and review. This is how we grow the show and continue to bring impactful information to you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you on the next episode.